0: Experience is the best knowledge. You could read a million books, but until you go out there and actually do it and actually screw up and learn from it, you're never gonna really learn.
1: When a personal injury firm leverages zero cost guerrilla marketing, the ROI goes through the roof.
0: I can create a phenomenal system. I can build up great staff and I can really scale this to basically an unmatched level. And the ROI on, on PI, I just looked and I said, really, the sky's the limit here.
1: You're listening to Personal Injury Mastermind, where we give you the tools you need to take your personal injury practice to the next level. Few have more grit and determination than managing partner, Muhammad Ramadan. He began his firm, Ramadan & Associates, while still in law school and with no outside help. A natural guerrilla marketer and rainmaker, he has always seen community involvement as the cornerstone of successful marketing. Early on, Muhammad grew his practice without spending a dime on traditional advertising. Instead, he found clients in the courthouse and planted seeds all around the community by attending business openings and volunteering. He has discovered what works. Now armed with a budget, he doubles down on marketing channels he knows will perform well. I'm your host, Chris Dreyer, founder and CEO of Rankings.io. We help elite personal injury attorneys dominate first page rankings with search engine optimization. Being at the forefront of marketing is all about understanding people. So let's get to know our guest. A first-generation immigrant who grew up on the south side of Chicago, Muhammad didn't know lawyers around to look up to. But that did not stop his ambition. Here's Muhammad Ramadan, managing partner at Ramadan &
0: Associates. It was never something that I actually thought would be possible. I remember I think the very first seed planted was um, one of the guys in the neighborhood that I really looked up to and respected. You know, he mentioned it to me and I kind of laughed it off and he didn't laugh. And I'm like, well, you know, people like us don't go to law school. He's like, well, says who? And I didn't have an answer for that. And it stuck in my head ever since then. Um, so when I was in community college, um, I stayed in community college just because I knew if I didn't go there, I'm not going back to school. And, you know, I'll have some regular nine to five. And I knew I wanted to do something different. Um, I think it was when I got to undergraduate, when I got into DePaul, It started to become a serious thought but if there was one i think magic moment that really implemented in my head was probably the oj case i was a big johnny cochran fan growing up i loved johnny cochran i I just his style his swagger the way he did things and i said man that'd be really cool to do that so i think as a young kid the oj case but growing up um it was just i got to a point people laugh at me when I say this, but it's the honest to God truth. I said, if I go to school, I'm going to be a doctor or a lawyer. I'm not smart enough to be a doctor. I suck at math and science. So law school sounds like a good deal for me. So that's when I really start to look into it.
1: Not easy professions, either one. So, (laughs) you know, first of all, congratulations. You decided to take the hard route, right? Most people, they go to law school, they go work, they're an associate, they they do that, they kind of get their feet wet. But You made the decision by L3 to open your own practice. What was going through your head? Why did you decide, hey, I'm going in full steam ahead. Why did you make that decision?
0: Yeah, you know, it's a multi-layered answer. For me, you got to understand my story where I started community college. I got into undergrad. I got denied by eight law schools. Michigan State gave me a conditional acceptance. So I looked at it as I wasn't even supposed to be in law school, right? And I looked at it as I'm playing with house money at this point. I, I don't even technically belong here. Secondly, this was around 2011, 2010, right after the crash, the job market was terrible. Um, I was bottom 20% of my class. I didn't have lawyers in my family. I didn't have a network. And you know, I was applying, 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 and nobody would even give me a call back. Like I wasn't even getting interviews. And it was getting to the point where I'm like, you know, I'm gonna come out of law school Um, I don't have a safety net. You know, what am I going to do? And I remember one night I I said to myself, I'm going to put my destiny in my own hands. I'm not going to wait for someone else to give me an opportunity. So I basically saw the writing on the wall. I said, you know what? I'm playing with house money. What do you do when you got house money? You go all in. And it was simple as that. I just didn't have any other options. And I said, I'm either going to feast or famine. And I said, if I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down on my terms. And that was really where I said, you know what? I got to do what I got to do. And that's what I did. I
1: appreciate the the grit and determination. I think that builds strength and character. So run a business is hard. You know, where did you learn to run a successful law practice? Is it trial and error like did. Did you have mentors? Where where did this come from? You
0: know, I've always worked. Now my family's worked. You know, Middle Eastern culture, we're very big on entrepreneurship. It was something that was kind of embedded in our community. And I just looked at it where I hustled my way up to this point. I felt I can continue to hustle my way and just kind of figure things out, right? I was never the smartest person in the room, but I was the type where, If I needed to get something done, I'm going to figure out how to do it. So, you know, I already kind of came in with that mentality, knowing before I finished law school that I wanted to do it, kind of helped me prep mentally. Um, You know, I would just kind of read books. I would talk to other business owners and just kind of, again, preparing, knowing I'm coming out and I'm going to do it. Mentally, I was just really starting to get ready. I, I spoke to a few other attorneys who did it and just kind of got their input uh, but it was trial and error and just really going out there and and getting your feet wet. Experience is the best knowledge. Um, you could read a million books, but until you go out there and actually do it and actually screw up um, and learn from it, you're never going to really learn. So yes, there was some education to it, but it's really just guts and not being afraid to screw up. And I know nobody wants to screw up and it's not like I intentionally screwed up, but I Told myself, you know, minimize the screw ups and you'll eventually get better at this. Deal with the lumps in the beginning and it will get better. And that's kind of how it happened. But the lumps were bigger than I expected. But um, but I mentally I just knew it was coming. I knew that the the, the punches were coming and I just prepared myself mentally for it.
1: There's so much to that. A lot of people have that like recall at the bottom of Bloom's taxonomy. They can recall, but they miss the the application. But I think it's important when you're going up to the top where you can really be strategic and create that you gotta go through the application side too and not just study, study, study and read and and make those mistakes and learn from them. Shifting over, you right out of the gate, you went from criminal defense and then you switched over to PI. What was the reason behind the switch? Why did you choose to start in criminal defense? You know what? What went through for that decision?
0: Yeah. So, criminal defense. Um, again, I was very influenced by Johnny Cochran, and that that stayed in my mind. You know, I was at the time in love with the allure of the you know uh, trial attorney, and I always saw trial attorneys as the criminal defense guys. You know, I wanted to wear the nice suits, and I wanted to go into court every day and and do all of that. That was part of it. The second part of it was, <laughs> how do I say this? Not that I knew a lot of criminals. <laughs> But I felt that I can get more of those cases than anything else at the time. I knew I didn't want to do divorce. I actually studied immigration law in law school. That's what I wanted to do. In practice, I absolutely hated it. So I said, okay, I know immigration is not for me and I was just getting calls for little BS criminal stuff. So I said, you know what? I've always wanted to be in a courtroom. I like the vibe of this. This is kind of what I pictured an attorney to be. I was still kind of naive to what an attorney is at the time. That was part of it. I mean, I started off doing $100 traffic tickets and that led to, all right, now we got misdemeanors and now we got a misdemeanor speeding ticket. And then now I got a DUI. And then after a couple of DUIs, it's, hey, I got a class four felony, which is a low level felony. And once I hit my first felony, I'm like, okay, you know, I might have something here. And um, I just felt it was the most accessible. I could walk into a courtroom and try to plug business. I didn't feel I could do that with any other area of law. So I felt I had a venue that I can actually go to and try to recruit clients. And it was just kind of a mix of all of that. And I enjoyed it at first. I really liked it. You know, three years in, um, I did my first attempted murder jury trial. I worked with a couple other younger attorneys. We kind of teamed up on this case. Uh, We did a great job. We, We got a not guilty. And the judge really kind of not praised us, but really kind of gave us a lot. He, he kind of looked at like, who the hell are these young punks coming in here with the guts to do an attempted murder jury trial three years out of law school and win, <laughs> you know, and, and we won. And I think that gave me the confidence after that when even though I was second or third chair on that, it gave me the confidence like, you know what, I, I, I like this and I and I enjoyed being in the courtroom but, um, you know, I say fast forward about five years into my career, I'm, I'm, I'm heavy duty, you know, guns, drugs, attempted murders. I, I got my first murder case and I was excited for it, but I was it was wearing me out. Anybody that does criminal defense will tell you, you know, you're jumping from courthouse to courthouse. You're just doing so much. And then after you're done with that, you still gotta go to the office, take care of your admin work. Then you gotta prep for the next trial and prep for all of that, Discuss with clients. It was fine when I was single and I wasn't a father. Uh, When I got married and I had my first daughter, um, you know, I would come home really late every day and I just didn't have much for her. And I always told myself I would never be that dad. That was a big promise I made to myself. Even before I got married, I said I would never be that dad. And meaning that dad was the guy that Never saw his kids, saw him maybe once a week, spent a couple hours with them. Um, I just didn't want to do that. And I said, you know what, right now I'm young, it's cool, whatever, she's young. But I said, okay, in five, 10 years, you know, am I going to regret this decision? And I kind of felt that I would. Um, and at the time, I was sending out a lot of PI cases. I was just referring them. I would to get the call and I would just send them out. And I'll never forget it. One of the firms, they took me out to like fancy dinner. They take me to a Bulls game and you know, I'm not the brightest guy, but I'm not a dummy either. Right. So I started, you know, on my way home, I'm like, they don't like me like that. I mean, we barely know these guys. Why are they doing this? Right. There's always something. And then I, 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 I went and I looked, I said, Oh, I sent them 15 cases this year. And I didn't even realize I sent them 15 cases. So I'm like, okay, there's something here. And then I started getting the referral checks and I'm looking at the checks. I'm like, Oh shit, this is my referral cut. So I'm like, how much did they make? And I'm like, well, if I could rain make, and I did pretty well on marketing, I I was starting to kind of build my name and, and build a reputation. So I looked at the numbers, right? I'm a numbers guy. And I said, the ROI on PI versus the ROI on criminal. That was the first thing. The second thing was scalability. And criminal defense is extremely difficult to scale because you need bodies. You gotta have bodies in court. PI, I'm a very systems-based guy. I said, you know, with PI, I can create a phenomenal system. I can, I can build up great staff, and I can really scale this to basically an unmatched level. There's no ceiling in PI, and that attracted me. I never – criminal, I felt there was a ceiling because you need bodies. But in PI, if you build the right system and you hire the right people – and the ROI on, on PI, I just looked and I said, really, the sky's the limit here. There is no ceiling in PI. And I'm like, I'm still young. I'm in my early 30s at the time. I, I was doing well with marketing and I wasn't even spending on paid ads. I was just, you know, guerrilla marketing, which we'll talk about later. And I'm like, if I can, without, you know, linking, send 15 cases to this firm, Why can't I do it for myself? And I was also doing some business law stuff at the time. I was fighting city of Chicago for a lot of the business owners. So I really enjoyed that. And I said, that's cool, but that's not gonna be enough. I said, if I wanna get out of criminal, I need to supplement it with something. And the train of thought got into PI and um, I transitioned slowly into PI. And once I, I spent about a year or two just learning PI before I I gave up criminal, I'm not wanting to just Totally jump in. I I wanted to learn the law, the the systems. I had to find good doctors. I had to, you know, learn the Lean Act and and all of that. Once I felt I had a firm grasp on that, I completely cut off criminal. I got a referral uh, from a previous lawyer I worked with on criminal. I said, You're going to have everything. Here's all my files. And I went, you know, uh, knee deep into PI after that.
1: Muhammad, or Mo the lawyer, has a natural talent for rainmaking but with such a competitive field, he still needed to rely on marketing to be successful. He explains how his marketing has shifted over the years.
0: Yeah, so I didn't have a low budget, I had no budget, okay? I, I didn't have much money at the time, and it was about you know year three or four, and I'm like, you know, I need to do something, but I don't have money. And I kept looking at my negatives, right? And I said, "How do I turn my negatives into a positive?" So my negatives were: I was young, you know. My name is Muhammad Ramadan. It's not a common, you know, lawyer name. I didn't have a ton of experience. So I'm like, "These are all negatives. How do I turn it into a positive?" And I said, "Well, the positive is: well, now I'm going to be the young, cool, hip, modern attorney. Let me flip the script on it." So what I did was I would just go on my personal Facebook page, and I started doing these, you know, posts about my criminal defense stories. And, you know, I would fluff them up and, oh, this woman came crying into my office and, you know, blah, blah. And I would do this like whole dramatic story. And I kind of did it jokingly at first and people were loving it. And I'm like, wait, hold on, I'm onto something here. And this is before Instagram really blew up, before TikTok was even around. This was maybe six, seven years ago. And I just started doing these posts and I'm getting DMs, people are seeing me on the street and say, hey man, we love your posts. And I'm like, okay, this is pretty cool. Let me run with this. It's free. That was the first thing that attracted to me. I said, Facebook's free. I don't have to pay for this. I don't have money for billboards. I don't have money for radio. You know, I looked into all of that. I didn't believe in mailers. So I said, you know what, let me continue with this. And then where I really saw the power was, I wanted to flip the script and test it, right? And what I mean by that is, I did a video uh, with the hip hop beat. I did the Kanye West, Kanye West from Chicago is pre-crazy Kanye West. So Chicago and Kanye West, he's really big out here. So I did the power beat, I, um, I did this like hype video. I rented like an Uber black and I, I hired a videographer and and I did this like really cool one minute, super hype video. And I noticed in three days, I got 55,000 views for free. And I, and I started looking and I said, wow, I mean, Some billboards don't get 55,000 eyeballs on it, right? In three days. So I said, I'm onto something here. Now, I got a lot of backlash too. But the backlash confirmed my thoughts. The legal world wasn't ready for this. And I saw an opening for someone like myself to come in and be an alternative to the traditional legal world, right? Everything you saw from the legal world at the time was, again, an old white male behind a, you know, Book stacked behind them in a suit and tie that they've had for 20 years. And and I realized through social media that the era has changed. People want personality in their lawyers now. They want to know who their lawyer is. They want to be able to relate to them. And once I saw that, I said, I'm onto something here. And I just nonstop, I just kept flooding it, flooding it. Again, I got a lot of backlash, but the backlash was from lawyers, the actual people who I want to to hire me, loved it. So I said, screw what the lawyers are saying. They just don't know what the hell's going on. If the people who I want to hire me like this, well, let's just go all in at that point. And that's basically where I started. And once I saw the power of social media, it was game over from there.
1: I think that being candid, I think that's what really drew me to you. I was cracking up watching some of your TikToks. I mean, we joked before the show, I was uh, about how most attorneys hate the the show Suits, so I was kind of needling you on the on the intro about that. And I just I think that you are really entertaining, but also educational too. And it's kind of a mix. It's a it's a nice balance because I think a lot of times attorneys will do too heavy on the informational. You just don't want to watch it, but it's mixed in in a good balance. Or too goofy. Yeah, and you also have like a unique take on your perspective of the five second rule. So what is your take on the five second rule and how does that play into your marketing?
0: Yeah, so I I kinda learned the five second rule when I was just starting and I needed to drum up business, right? So in like my first year, what I would do is I would just put a suit and tie on I would just walk around the courthouse. And I would even like, I I remember I used to call my sister and say, hey, act like you're a client so that people can hear me and and think I'm an attorney. And I'm like, don't worry, we're gonna beat this case. And you know, I would just do that and I would go into courtrooms and I would act like I'm looking for my client just so people can see me. I would get random papers and act like I'm getting paperwork ready when I'm really just scribbling on it. You know, and I really took the fake it till you make it and I just kind of put steroids on it. And I would get people that would talk to me and then they would say, oh, well, I want someone with more experience. So what I learned from the five second rule though, was you really have five seconds to impress someone and in those five seconds, they're gonna decide if they wanna hire you or not. So, what I did was I went and spent a few hundred bucks on some really nice business cards, and I went and bought a couple suits, and I would make sure I'm dressed to the T, and the five second rule was you give a nice handshake, give them your very nice business card, smile, show confidence, and if you can do that in five seconds, you will get someone to hire you. And I had my first felony client, he got me out of the courtroom, he hired me from there. When we sat down in my office, I said, hey man, I have to ask you, why did you hire me? You know I'm younger, I'm, I'm curious. He's like, honestly, Mo, you were the best dressed one, and you seem to have the most confidence, so I rolled the dice and I'm going with you. And I said, wow, like, people really do look at those things. And once I kind of learned that, yeah, every time I met someone, I in my head... Good handshake, good business card, smile, shoulders up, show confidence, and you'll get someone to hire you. Because when you don't have anything else, all you have is yourself. So sell yourself.
1: The one thing that I think of when you say that, and first of all, that's brilliant. And that makes me think about reframing, even on the podcast, maybe dressing up a little bit more other than the uh, the Under Armour and stuff that I'm used to. But uh, I've heard, you know, every sales conversation is a conversation based upon trust, and it seems like those things were really contributing to that. It's like, well, if he can afford like subliminally, they're thinking, well, if he can afford this super nice suit, he's nice business cards. Obviously, he's very successful.
0: Not knowing that's a sale rack suit that I bought at men's warehouse for like 90 bucks, but they didn't know that. So, I, you know, I grew up in fashion, so I always knew how to kind of per se look good without spending a ton of money. And I didn't have a ton of money anyways, but. Yeah, they didn't know that was an off-the-rack, sale rack suit. They didn't need to know that.
1: Mo the Lawyer is an expert guerrilla marketer. He explains how getting involved in community has helped his business grow.
0: So guerrilla marketing for me and how I've really built myself, and I still do it till today and it's it's worked, is I do a lot of in-person events. And not events, just show up. So. I've always done a lot of community work, so I work with a lot of community organizations and just little things where if I saw someone on Facebook that I knew open up a new business and they have a grand opening, I would go to that grand opening and I would just show up. And sometimes I would be one of the only few people that were at that grand opening. And guess who that business owner is going to remember when they need legal work? The one person, the one attorney, who showed up to their grand opening. If a nonprofit is looking for volunteers, I would go volunteer and I would just introduce myself. Hey, you know, I'm a Ramadan, I'm an attorney, I'm just here to volunteer. And then, you know, I would cut them a $100 check or $200 check. I would just plant seeds everywhere that I go. It might not be right away, but at some point those seeds do grow. So when I say guerrilla marketing, it's really, you know, being in people's face, being out on the streets, it's it's being at events, it's letting people know who you are. And all of this is free. Like you don't have to give a donation, right? Go volunteer with them. And when you go volunteer, wear your firm gear. They're not gonna tell you no, they're gonna be more than happy to allow you to do that. Um, So like right now, you know, I, I do a lot of community work where, you know, we're sponsoring families for Christmas this year. There was a bad incident in Chicago. Someone reached out hey, I'll be glad to sponsor this. Now, one, it's the right thing to do. But two, I can promise you with 100% certainty, these families know anybody that's involved in a car accident, they're not going to look at your billboards. They're going to come and say, no, 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 call this guy. He's in our community. He cares about us. And in injury law, you know this as well as anybody, they need to trust you and they need to know that you care for them. How else... And how better can you show you care for someone than helping them when you're not getting anything out of it? So you plant those seeds early so that when that case does come about, you're already locked and loaded. You've already sold yourself and you've already built that trust. And I always tell people, your seven-figure cases will probably not come off SEO or your billboard. It's gonna come from a referral. Build those referrals, build those trusts by showing up and showing your face and the people will call you.
1: I couldn't agree more. And I, I think from even from a Google perspective, most of the time it's cap, capturing existing demand. A lot of times it's quick hitters, convenience, versus those big cases, they're gonna do their research. Mm-hmm. You know, they need to know someone. And a lot of time those times those do come from referrals. The other thing that's you know interesting is even these businesses can draw attention. And I saw like you were involved in one of the largest Chicago turkey giveaways. And people like that because it's not you know you're not selling you're you're engaging you're trying to be helpful and and it makes you more likable from that you know the no like trust in the middle of the funnel.
0: And to to show you how it works, so that uh, it's the largest turkey drive in Chicago. It's run by a guy named Steve. So I know Steve from way back through mutual connections. I helped Steve with something really small when I first started. So Steve is very well known in this city, and I owe Steve a lot because he hired me when I was younger and kind of gave me some of the credibility. So I didn't just take that and run. So now when Steve started doing events, he started this years ago was small. I used to support him doing that. So then now it's blown up. Steve is much bigger than he was before. I can pick up the phone and say, Hey Steve, I need one, two, three, or can you connect me with this group? Or can you connect me with this organization? Sure Mo, no problem. Cause when Steve needs something, I give back to Steve. So, you know, it goes hand in hand. And I think a lot of attorneys miss that because they're always worried about the close. Sometimes your close, closing the case is four or five steps later, right? And most lawyers want to close on the first conversation. And you also got to know your city. We're a Midwestern blue collar city. You know, we don't like fake, phony. This is not Hollywood, right? This is Chicago. We're blue collar. If they smell bullshit, they're going to run away from you right? So they'll know if you're genuine and if you're not genuine. And people are okay giving it to you if they trust you. So they have to trust you. And again, it, it takes a few steps to build that trust. And I think that's what a lot of attorneys really miss.
1: I love that. So you're just, you're building up all this relationship equity. It just compounds. You get introduced to this next person. It compounds. You get that reciprocity, just natural reciprocity, the the give without expecting anything in return. And then then it does come. It's like putting out the good karma in the world. How has your marketing changed? Like uh, now that your practice is, you know, got consistent cases and and you're starting to grow. Are you just, hey, social media is working now. I'm going to put my foot on the pedal, you know, and just go all in or or has it really evolved or is it or is it truly sticking to that flywheel where they all kind of complement each other?
0: Yeah, the biggest difference now is I actually have a budget, which, you know, I'm, I'm 12 years in and, and it took me a while. And the one thing I did well was anytime I had good months, I would dump it back in. I never bought a new car, I never bought jewelry, and, you know, all these things that, you know, some lawyers tend to buy. I always took it and I kind of reinvested back into my practice. So, now it's it's multifaceted, right? So we do well on social, but now I'm able to hire a social media manager, which I did. I have my own in-house videographer that's on payroll. Um, so now the next step is Google and also putting steroids on my community engagement, right? So that's not going anywhere. That's actually I'm doubling, tripling down on events. So now instead of just giving them, you know, being able to give 50 bucks, 100 bucks donation, now I'm covering your entire event for that day. And what I do, and it's worked, it's kind of a reverse psychology. When I go sponsor their events, I don't ask to put my signage anywhere. I just say, look, like Pastor Brooks, uh, he's a really big pastor in Chicago, love his work. I just, I, I knew someone that knew him. I met him. I just told him, Pastor, I love what you're doing. I just want to help. Whatever my law office can do, we can do. He's like, cool, and we're going to blast you everywhere. I didn't have to ask for it, right? He understood what I was doing and that there there is an end game to this. But they're fine with it. And the trick that I did is I would never ask for it. And almost always, they do it for you anyway. So you come off a little bit more genuine uh, when you just saying, hey, man, I just want to help. But if you come in and say, well, here's my flyers, here's my poster, here's my this, here's my that, you know, they're going to look at you and say, dude, you know, kind of what are you doing here, right? So you got to be strategic about it. But yeah, I mean, you know, again, instead of giving a couple hundred bucks, I can give a lot more. Um, I can sponsor more families. I can uh, do more of these events. So the difference now is I can do multifaceted marketing ventures and you know, now I have the budget to, you know, look into Google and, and whether it's PPC, SEO, LSAs, that whole thing. Um, but I will never, ever, ever, the cornerstone of my marketing is my community engagement because that's organic. That will I could not spend, I could spend, it'll never go away, right? And you know this well enough. The moment you stop spending on PPC, you know, you're done, right? So if you build an organic, you build a trust within these communities. That will always be there for you. So you got to do a combination of both.
1: I think that's brilliant advice. And I, I think that, you know, those relationships do compound and those businesses do get bigger. Most of the time you hear a strategies where it's starting with Google or starting with the radio or the billboards, but, but this is really working out and it does have the ability to compound, you know, so how has success changed? You know, you said now you have a family and that dynamic. So what does success mean to you now?
0: It's a very good question. I think that constantly changes, Um, you know, five years ago I would tell you success would be hiring my first paralegal, right? Um, Now that I have five staff, it's I want them to make really good money, right? Like I want them all to be at six figures plus. That's a big goal of mine. I've always wanted a great staff that got paid really well. A success for me is creating great firm culture, where we all generally like each other, we treat our clients well. That comes from your firm culture. How your staff treats your clients is based on how you treat your staff. And I think a lot of people really miss that. So be good to your staff, treat them well, because they will then treat your clients well, who then pay you and you can feed your family from it, right? So for me, success right now is building up my team and really being the law firm for the disenfranchised. You know, I grew up in areas that we didn't have access to attorneys and we didn't know attorneys. And I always felt that people in our neighborhoods were taken advantage of. And I always wanted to build the firm that not only represented them, but gave them that A plus A one service, as well as speaking their language, being in their communities. So the ultimate success for me is going into marginalized communities and knowing that they have a law firm that knows them, that cares for them, and is gonna bust their ass for them and is gonna give them top level service and not treat them any less because they live in a zip code that might not be the upper echelon. And that was one of the biggest reasons I went into opening up my own law practice. I wanted to really reset the standard of what marginalized communities get in return in legal services.
1: So powerful, amazing, amazing. Well, I got one final question here. What's next for Attorneys of Chicago and where can people go to learn more about you?
0: I'm very big on Instagram. I love Instagram, it's my favorite. So you can catch us on Instagram. I'm Mo Lawyer on Instagram and on TikTok. Uh, We're growing our TikTok right now. I'm still kind of learning it. So any feedback, I love feedback, guys. So if you guys see me, if you hate something, please tell me you hate it. If you love something, tell me you love it. Um, At this point for us, it's really just continuing to grow our team, continuing to be embedded in communities, Uh, We're hitting different parts of the city now. You know, we're very South Side based, so I'm doing a lot to go more West Side, North Side. Um, So just really hitting different parts. I got a big project coming up next year where we're going to actually open up offices in these communities so we can then be a legal hub in the communities for these communities to come in and we're going to offer free services um, where they could use our you know recording equipment or if they need a center for kids to come in or anything like that i really want to build this model law firm that's in communities with actual brick and mortar locations and not just as you know as a a for-profit service but actually being a hub A legal hub for these communities so i've already kind of picked some locations so that's going to be the next big thing that i'm working on but i really think i can really set the standard on community engagement by being embedded and having a location in these communities some communities that lawyers won't even drive through okay so it's it's communities that i am familiar with that i know if people just saw it and and got over the reputation they would love it uh but Let me be the first one, let me show proof of concept. I do think law firms should be more embedded in their communities, more than we are. Um, Let's take it back to the old school essence of what lawyers were. We are the representation of people. We stop the government from overreach. I mean, we play a very vital role in our communities, in our system, in our great country. Lawyers play a very important role. Yes, we're here to make money, I never hide from that. I can't grow and I can't help people if I don't get clients. So we need money to do that. But you also keep in mind who we are, what we do, and I just hope lawyers remember that and remember what our ultimate goal is as attorneys.
1: Zero-cost guerrilla marketing can make any firm more profitable by building trust and relationship equity. Social media, volunteering, attending grand openings, and donating to causes are all great ways to get started. Be aware of the community you're looking to engage understand them. In some towns, plastering your firm all over a sponsorship event could come off as spammy, while in others, wearing a bit of swag when you volunteer could drive more referrals. I'd like to thank Mo, the Lawyer from Ramadan and Associates for sharing his story with us. I hope you gained some valuable insights from the conversation. You've been listening to Personal Injury Mastermind. I'm Chris Dreyer. If you like this episode, leave us a review. We'd love to hear from our listeners. I'll catch you on next week's PIM with another incredible guest and all the strategies you need to master personal injury marketing.